It can be hard to know what our kids are really thinking and feeling. But when we encourage kids to engage with us in conversation, and when we lean in and actively listen, we inevitably learn something that helps us do better by them. Welcome to Dear Highlights, the podcast inspired by letters and emails from kids who write to highlights, seeking a listening ear and a little guidance as they wind their way through childhood. A short, sweet season, but also a period of heavy lifting for kids. I'm Christine French-Cully, Editor-in-Chief of Highlights and your podcast host. I'm joined by Hilary Bates, our podcast producer and thoughtful mom of two. We're here to amplify the voices of children and to explore with expert guests many of the issues that kids and families wrestle with regularly. We're glad you've joined us. Dear Highlights, my mom and dad have been separated for about a month. I have two cats. I get keys for a lot. Highlights. Well, hello, listeners. Hillary and I are back today to talk about sharenting, the practice of parents sharing photos and information about their kids on the internet. And while almost every parent and grandparent I know posts photos of their littles online, which I enjoy immensely, I have to say, I was also a little shocked when I learned that recent studies are suggesting that most kids will have over 1,000 photos of themselves online before they're even five years old. And Hillary, it's natural and even a lovely thing, I think, when parents connect with friends and families and bond over their kids. It is a practice that needs to be approached thoughtfully. And so today we're going to talk about this topic, um, not so much from a safety perspective or a privacy perspective, and there's lots of good information about that online, um, but we're going to talk about it more in terms of how it affects kids' developing sense of self and even the parent-child relationship. Yeah, I think it's really, I know that I have a Facebook account in some ways to share pictures of my kids um, and stories about my kids with relatives and grandparents that are really interested in them. And I think it's, it's one of the most beautiful things about social media is the chance to connect with family and share our stories. Um, but we really wanted to talk today with some parents who had experienced some friction in some of those sharing or had to rethink a little bit the negotiation between what sorts of content they're sharing about their kids and how their kids might feel about it. You know, we talked before this episode, Chris, about the fact that sometimes you read some really scary stories out there that are sort of meant to scare parents about sharing mm -hmm. about their kids on social media. Uh, but that sort of situation is very rare. And what's much more common and is happening in most people's homes is just that they're going to be talking about their kids and their kids at some point are going to want some say in how they're being talked about. And it is different nowadays when things are recorded and stored um, long term and the reach of them is more than, you know, when I was a kid and I was listening to my mom describe my school exploits at book club, uh, you know, that wasn't being recorded for posterity. Um, so, uh, we did have some conversations with a few parents um, that were just more of those day-to-day -day interactions. And we also got the chance to speak with Dr. Michael Robb, who is the Senior Director of Research at Common Sense Media, to help parents and us think about what should we be considering as we're posting things online, which we're certainly going to still be doing. That's right. And um, and we know from our reader mail that this is a topic that's really also important to kids because 
they really want to have um, to know that their parents respect them, respect their privacy, and they want to have good relationships with um, their mom and dad and other caregivers. And sometimes this stands in the way. So much of our reader mail is about parents and relationships with people in the home. We know that that is the center of kids' lives. And they really care about what we're saying and how we're talking about them. Um, And I definitely heard that sense from some of the parents that I talked to in background for this episode. One parent who I talked to who has a very precocious and adorable five-year-old, John, was one of these folks who loves Twitter and loves to post jokes about his family on Twitter. And uh, one time had that experience of having his daughter have a complete meltdown because she got the wrong colored cup. I think that will sound familiar to a lot of parents. And he sort of posted, (laughs) he posted a joke about it on Twitter and he didn't even think about it. And a couple days later, um, his daughter was sitting with him looking at the Twitter and she saw the joke and burst into tears and said, dad, you're making fun of me. And he really had a moment of illumination there, thinking about the fact that even though he thought about what he was doing as just a way to connect with other parents and sort of relieve the tension of the moment, that his daughter really had a sense of how he thinks about her and talks about her and may have wanted to have some kind of say in how that was positioned. Um, And he told me that he really thinks differently now about the type of thing that he posts about her on Twitter. So that kind of relationship connection is really the type of, uh, you know, quandary that we're talking about today. Um, So we're going to share one of the conversations that we had uh, right now with listeners, and that is a conversation that we had with Jen, who is a mom of five and a blogger who is going to talk about not so much negative feedback she got from her kids um, for having them online, but some positive feedback she was getting that was concerning her. Let's hear from Jen. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about your experience on Instagram as a mother of um, five children. (laughs) Sure. So I was really excited to start an Instagram account um, as an way to promote my motherhood blog. And so I thought, what a great way to um, reach out to moms who have kids like me and see my kids involved doing fun things at home. And that kind of is the gist of my blog and um, my old Instagram account. It was basically showing um, fun activities that moms could do with their kids that were simple, easy to do, didn't require huge amounts of time or effort. And that account was a lot of fun to grow. Um, I usually had my three younger kids who are ages 10, eight, and now six. They were the ones who wanted to participate the most. My two older teenagers weren't really thrilled (laughs) about being involved with that. Um, And so we just did all sorts of different Instagram posts. It was um, whether we would have different sayings on a letter board. We did that for my kids would pose with me and that really grew our account um, pretty quickly. And then after that, we really got into making reels, uh, the video, um, short content video for Instagram. And that was a blast. We would spend so much time, particularly in the summer months where we would just spend days creating different, lots of different reels at once. We try to batch 
produce our content and um, coming up with different ideas. And my kids, they really loved it. It was really fun. I hear a butt building. What happened? Yeah, there definitely is. Um, so as the account grew, it was very interesting. So um, we would try to post at the best times of day and use the right hashtags and all sorts of things. But um, a- after a post would go live, I, my eight-year-old boy in particular, every hour, mom, how many likes are we getting? Have we gotten any new follows? And that just became his mark of success was how many likes a post would get, how many views a reel would have. And it was great to have some success and to be able to celebrate that together. There were lessons learned and, oh, well, this one didn't do as well. Why not? But it became really alarming to me for him that all of a sudden his validation really mattered on this outside source that in the end, we didn't have any control over. Um, And he, I could just see the writing on the wall that he very quickly would get sad if we had a post or a video that didn't do well. And he would feel that that was a reflection on him. Like, oh, I need, I need to do this better. I need to do that better. It was, it was shocking how quickly that happened for him. Um, And then my 10 year old girl, and this is probably not a surprise, but she's just at that age where she's starting to care a little bit about how she looks and um, what her outfit looks like. But it was just, it was kind of taken to the next level with Instagram and her knowing that, oh, these thousands of people could, could see what I look like. And I just felt that it we weren't at the right, they are not at the right stage to deal with that sort of pressure to perform, especially when the feedback that they're getting is really based on things that they have no control over. So that was really um, pretty quickly into having them really involved with the videos. I would say it was probably a few months. And I realized that this is just heading in a direction that I'm not, I'm not ready for them to have to deal with. And so we, we shut it all down. It's, it is still out there, the account, but we haven't posted anything since June and it's been six months now. So, and how do your children feel about um, no longer participating in that? Well, it's interesting. They, um, they do miss it. I'll be totally honest. They have said, Oh, it was so fun, you know, to make those videos. And we had tons of hilarious outtakes that we would kind of compile and enjoy laughing at together. But on the flip side of the coin, um, my oldest daughter, the 10 year old, she said, you know, mom, she said it was kind of stressful. And what did she say? It was, she used the word perform. I'm glad we don't have to perform like that. And that to me was another huge red flag that she was feeling this pressure to to be someone that she's really not, that she had to perform for an Instagram account. So those sorts of comments make me realize that it it was the best decision for us um, to stop at this time, not to say that we won't pick it up years from now when they're a little bit more mature and we can really help them hopefully see that their worth is intrinsic instead of extrinsic. But for now, it was definitely the right thing, even though it was a lot of fun um, in a lot of respects. I think a lot of parents can um, understand what you're saying, Jen, that working on a creative project that gets put online, there's a lot there for kids to like. I mean, kids love to do 
plays and shows they love to create together. And they oftentimes getting to do that with their parents is really fun. So there's clearly value in that. And I think a lot of parents also understand this other layer that might make them uncomfortable that you're describing of sort of how your kids are conscious of their audience, which is, I think, really what, you know, we're talking about and start to think about it in a way that maybe doesn't feel natural for childhood. Um, When you're thinking about the fact that someday your kids will want to do those things again, and, you know, even though you've stopped it for now, that won't last forever, what are you thinking about you'll do next time that will be different? Is it just waiting for them to be older? Are there conversations you're having now um, that help your children view that relationship in a different way? I guess sort of how are you processing all of that? Sure. I think that's a great question. And I think there's a lot more that goes into it than just getting older. Um, But having those conversations that who you are um, is not, or your value is not based on what the world is going to reflect back to you. And I think at least I've noticed in my own children, it takes time to really understand that and to grab hold of it. I mean, even sometimes as an adult, I need to remember that myself. Um, Additionally, I feel that as they age, and if that is something that they want to do, I would try to probably take, have them take more control instead of just me saying, okay, here guys, this is what we're going to do, but allow them to learn through the planning process. Um, There are a lot of things that I think could be done as they get older to really involve them. But most importantly, it's just getting to the point where I feel more comfortable that they know who they really are and, and allowing them to present themselves as individuals, unique individuals, not feeling like they need to conform to this, what other people are doing on this platform that we need to be like this other Instagram account and do exactly what they do so that we get the same sort of attention or notice. So I think, I think there's a lot of things that go into the importance of waiting more than just their age. Jen, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Absolutely. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, we are happy to have with us Dr. Michael Robb. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's an important topic. Um, there's even a word for it, sharing. <laughs> parents sharing some of their kids' photos and information on social media. It's natural, I think, that parents want to do this. And uh, because kids are a big part of our story, right? Absolutely. I am a parent of two children as well. And the temptation to share the funny thing that they did or the activity that they're involved in is really great. And uh, trying to have the mindset about what you want to share and who it's appropriate to share it to, um, I think can be tricky sometimes. Yeah, lots of things to consider. Absolutely. Yeah, I also am a parent of two. And, you know, Facebook is my chosen social media space because this is where I've got aunts and grandparents and all sorts of folks who are able to see my kids. And that's sort of the place now where they expect to see and hear things about them. Um, And my kids are old enough that we have definitely gotten to the point, like some of the parents that we've talked to today, where they want to have a part in thinking about how they show up 
in these spaces and what kinds of stories I'm telling about them and what kinds of pictures I'm sharing. You know, I found that even fairly young kids can have a real sense of how they appear online and have some perspectives on it. Um, I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit more about how kids think about their social media presence, how they're managing their own, you know, what are, uh, what are kids thinking about when they think about what shows up about them online? I think it really depends on the age of the kid and what they have access to. So, you know, most younger children don't have social media profiles. Um, and so they may have limited control over what their presence may or may not be, um, except for their opinions on what parents are posting about them. But that does not mean, as you just mentioned, it does not mean they're not thinking about it. You know, I, like I said, I, I have two kids, young kids, and, you know, they both talk about what it means to be YouTube famous, you know, quote unquote, YouTube famous. So you can see that it's, it's something that's interesting and it's important to them, you know, maybe in the same way that it would have been to like think about being like a movie star years ago. Um, and, you know, you see it in the behavior of kids, you know, kids will request like, you know, take a video of me so they, they can show off something that they've learned. And, um, you know, I, I saw a kid the other day, you know, start it by saying, hey, it's it's me here to show you my newest trick as if he was, you know, had his own YouTube channel. And he ended the video by saying, don't forget to subscribe. So, you know, it's, it's kind of just, it's part of their world and part of their environment. So it's very natural that young children are interested in that kind of presence. And then I think as kids get older, you know, you look at teens or tweens, you know, who do likely have social media profiles and you look at what their developmental needs are and what, what those needs are like circling around um, what's important for them at that stage. And it's, you know, it's a lot about hanging out with friends and getting validation from their peers and exploring and crafting an identity. And those are things that, that adolescents have been doing as long as they've been adolescents, right? But, but technology allows them to explore and kind of manifest those aspects of development in, in different ways than maybe when we were kids. So, you know, you can imagine that if a 13-year-old wants to be seen as cool in front of his friends or her friends, then having mom or dad post a, you know, a, a photo of them that's publicly available from some elementary school play that they were in, you know, may cut across the image that they're trying to cultivate. So there could be a real disconnect between what parents want out of their social media engagement and what kids are trying to get out of it. And so that tricky part is really trying to balance those things in a way that can respect each other's autonomy. Yeah, you know, we talk about um, childhood as a time of heavy lifting. And I think some of what you're talking about, that sense, developing a sense of self, that's always been a part of childhood. I think what we're hearing about from like what Jen mentioned today is is there something that is difficult that's added when that feedback you're getting from other people is quantifiable? And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what we know about how that affects kids. I mean, we know from studies, at least of um, young teens, that the, the likes that they receive can have an outside um, effect on their mood, right? It can make them feel really good or conversely really bad if they're, if they're not getting getting it. And that's not equally true for all kids. Some kids are kind of indifferent to it or they just, you know, can kind of roll with it better. But there's certainly a smaller population of of, um, of teens and tweens for whom those likes play an outside, uh, an outsized influence. And so, you know, to have these kind of quantifiable metrics may be um, kind of distracting from the thing that they wanted in the first place, which was like, is this like a, a fun thing that they want to be able to do? And it transfers the the part that I think parents are hoping for, which is like, this is just a way to hang out with friends or be able to show off with friends into something that has a competitive aspect um, or something that can be seen as a substitute for peer validation. And like I just said, like thinking about where teens are developmentally, that peer validation is like really important to them. 
And so like already from the get-go, there's a way to attach some you know, meaningful metric of peer validation to this. Um, and that can, I think, maybe impede or get in the way of other potentially positive things that could be, be happening. So, Michael, the kids who are too young to be posting about themselves on their own social media sites, how do we think about their privacy rights? Um, should, should they have some? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they should have some. And uh, it's not really uh, enshrined in law in any meaningful way for really young children. I mean, there are some things. There's something called the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act called COPPA. Um, and COPPA has been around since 2000, and the goal of COPPA is to give parents some control over what information is collected from their kids online. And generally, the way that manifests itself in the real world, real world is that um, COPPA will require websites and other kinds of online services to obtain consent from parents before it collects personal information from, uh, from kids younger than 13. Um, and then under the law, parents would have the right to you know, review their kids' information, delete it, or maybe like refuse to permit additional collection information. So that's one kind of like legal way that you know kids' privacy um, happens online. Uh, that only goes to age thirteen. You know, it would be great. You know, and I know there's some pushes to update COPPA to cover children older than age thirteen, um, and maybe also for companies to obtain more kind of express consent from kids. Um, even older than 13, before collecting their personal information or location data. But, you know, when we think about privacy rights, I think we have to think both in terms of like the legal and then um, the interpersonal. There are interpersonal rights here. So on a personal level, when you talk to parents, you know, like, what do we think about the rights of our kids? And I like to think, you know, that we should give children a little bit more control by doing a couple things. So, you know, it might be the right that for you to be able to ask permission before you take pictures and videos or stories about them, um, to first have a conversation with a child about what you want to share with the world or who something is being shared with or how it's being shared. Um, I think it's within the rights of the child for the, the parent to think more critically about controlling their own sharing. Um, certainly if you're taking pictures or videos that include other kids, only posting those if you have permission um, or at least thinking a lot more about it. Um, and just generally trying to think of your kids as, you know, these are kids with their own wants and feelings and you don't know what is going to kind of outlast that immediate moment of posting that picture and might affect that kid down the line. So, you know, taking a beat before you um, post pictures or video online, I think should be kind of at the bare minimum of what the right should be. I think some of these conversations that you're suggesting with kids also create a really great modeling. If you think about if you're asking your five-year-old or your six-year-old, if a picture that you took, it's okay with them if they if you post it. It's really getting them to begin to think about the things that they're at some point going to control for themselves, um, about their public self and their private self. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's never too early to get kids to start thinking about that digital footprint, right? Because that's just going to be part of their world. I mean, they're going to be, um, you know, they're going to be online for the rest of their lives. And everything that they do online potentially leaves uh, a track or a trace. And you don't know what information is being collected by certain companies and how they're building a database of what they know about you and what your interests are and, um, and how it's going to be reflected back onto you. You know, they can share and sell that information in ways that are not clear at all to you. Um, so we really do have to be, I think, 
pretty conscientious about what we're putting out there publicly. Yeah, I think that really brings up a good, um, something I wanted to ask you, Michael, which is that a lot of the things we're talking about today, you know, they're not catastrophes. They're really about relationship negotiation between parents and kids and what feels good. Um, But I'm aware that there are real threats to kids' privacy out there. I think one of the things that I hear parents being particularly uncomfortable about is about sharing medical information with their kids online and whether there's some real world impact concern that they should have about sharing a diagnosis, say like talking about their child who has ADHD um, in a social space or um, a contagious illness. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about uh, sort of where the edges are around what are things where we really should be concerned about including something in our child's digital imprint. I mean, that kind of highly personal information, I think everyone should take a beat before they start posting it and think very critically about who is it that you want to share it with. So, you know, you can look at this at a lot of levels. On one level, it's, you know, what am I posting to a social media platform and what information are they allowed to collect and share with others? But then there's also the level of, but then who, if I'm posting it, gets to see this information? You know, you don't have to post something on Facebook or Instagram. If it's something that is of concern, maybe it's something that you're just sending out as a group text to, you know, a smaller group of friends or family, and that's appropriate, and that's the way you want to have a conversation. Um, you know, there are ways to do it that don't involve a big media company. Um, you know, people have been taking photos and videos of their kids for years, uh, for many, many years prior to social media. They've been sharing stories about their kids, documenting their lives, and sharing it with friends and family. But the fact that they're doing it on, on social media, I think, raises some unique issues. Um, because, you know, your family album doesn't transmit digital data. Um, <laughs> whereas those Instagram pictures, you know, those are sitting on servers that are owned by big companies like Facebook, and they're visible potentially to anybody who scrolls through your profile. And as we were just mentioning, you know, so you're creating this digital footprint for them that they may not want, right? If I take a roll of film, as I, you know, many, many years ago, to be developed, the, the camera store wasn't sharing that information with advertisers in exchange for access to, you know, customers. You know, I was not the commodity there. But social media platforms do that. So you're oversharing or sharing that kind of really personal information can be telling them, you know, what your child looks like, when they were born, what their medical medical conditions are, what activities they're doing, right? And now those companies can use that knowledge for their own ends, which may not align well with your goals or your kids' goals. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's it's something really to think about. Michael, I've heard the phrase digital kidnapping used in conversations about being careful with what you post about your children online. Is that a real concern or is that uh, a little alarmist? Uh, I'll be honest in saying I don't know any numbers about the pre- uh, prevalence of digital kidnapping. I don't doubt that it has happened to some people. And for people who are not familiar, and you can elaborate on this as well, um, digital kidnapping, I think, refers to the um, taking of pictures or videos from somebody else's profile and using them as if they are your own. So it's, you're not actually kidnapping a child, but you are presenting a child as if it is your own, um, which can be a real violation of privacy and trust, and um, it's very uncomfortable. Um, so I don't want to d- deny that that risk is... Um, how how much that might happen. And when you post lots of pictures or videos of your kids, I'm sure that's more likely that somebody could build up that that profile to be able to present another child as if it was their own. Um, but I don't know, as of now know exactly how prevalent that is. It's probably, like all those things have some kernel of truth 
things like uh, digital kidnapping and um, even like exposing kids to potential predators, right? All these things do happen, right? There are kernels of truth there. How often they happen is probably maybe less than you might expect from how often you hear about it in the news. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't want to be aware of those risks when you're going online or when your children are going online. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're raising kids today, you cannot be terrified of the internet because it's going to be part of life. But at the same time, what we hope is that people are having, um, they're developing skills the way that we, you know, we all interact with water and we learn how to swim. So I think what's so great about um, Common Sense is that you guys provide a lot of tools for families about how to think and talk with kids about these kind of uh, decisions around technology that are also decisions about our relationships and how we talk to each other. Is there somewhere that you, you would suggest parents start on the site if they're starting to think, how do I negotiate these conversations with my kids around what we share and what we don't share? Yeah, and we have a, an advice section on the website where you can find some of that information. I'd also urge people to look at our, our we have an education website for schools. Um, and that's something that can be shared with uh, a child's teachers. Um, and it's all about, we call it digital citizenship, but it's really just kind of the rules of the road or the skills that you need um, to be a responsible digital citizen. And a lot of what we've been just talking about in terms of maintaining a good digital footprint and um, understanding data privacy and respecting data privacy is kind of part and parcel of the curriculum that uh, many teachers use to help teach kids about um, being good digital citizens. So I think that would be a really, um, those would both be really good ways to, to start. Um, we also have on the site um, some digital media contracts. Um, and that really is something that parents can help to craft. And it goes into everything from you know, when and where kids can use devices to like what is okay to share and what is not okay to share. And maybe that contract goes both ways. You know, maybe that's something that a kid can also share with the parent, like, please don't share this picture of me, or at least ask me before you you um, share, you know, particular pictures or, or videos of me. I have a very lawyerly child and we have really enjoyed using those contracts. So I will uh, recommend them for other people who have very rule-bound children. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. I think this has been a really helpful conversation and I hope parents will take advantage of those resources that Common Sense uh, provides. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. It's great to be here. You can learn more about kids' hopes and dreams and their worries and fears from the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available on highlights.com or wherever you buy your books. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe and share the link with your friends. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hilary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher. <laughs>